Well, again, it's good to see each one of you here this morning. Maranatha, our Lord comes. And I hope you just get more and more excited about that truth each and every day of your lives as you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, as your desire is to serve Him. This morning, I want us to continue with our series of Christ of the Book. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. We find in Hebrews 10, 7, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the theme of this book. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. And so what we're going to do over the next many, many weeks, as I said earlier, this is our second installment, so after today, we have 64 more to go, because there are 66 books in the Bible. So we're going to be searching, we're going to be looking to find Christ of the book. He is. And we found out last week that in the book of Genesis, He is creator, that our powerful God spoke the world into existence. Not an evolutionary process, no age-day theory nonsense, but a literal six days as He proclaimed in His Word, let there be, and there was. a lot of people ask the question, why, why six days? Really, that's the wrong question. God could have done it in six seconds, six minutes. He could have taken six billion years and had it said in His Word that it had taken that long. Guess what? We would believe it because we believe God's Word. And that's really the question. It's not why did He take so long, but Why don't so many people, so few people believe that? It's written in the Word. We take it for what it says. We believe the truth of God's Word. And the point we made last week, and I think it's worth making again today, is that if you can believe the book of Genesis, if you can believe the creation story, which we do, then you can believe the rest. But if you don't agree with the Genesis story and you try to fabricate or come up with another scenario, then chances are you're not going to believe the rest of the book. And it's extremely important that you believe that he had the power, that he had the ability to create. Because if you can't believe that, then you're probably not going to believe that he awoke from the dead, that he rose from the dead. And both of those are important, but especially that last one, is that he bodily arose from the dead. So it's important that you start out believing in the beginning God created. We talked about the fact that Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. He doesn't try to explain it. He didn't try to go into more 
any more detail other than to tell you he did it. And by faith, we accept that. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And who was that? That was the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1. We mentioned this last week. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by Him were all things created. Again, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And that for Him is critical to understand and grasp as we launch into the next segment of this study of Christ of the book as we talk about Job. You say, wait, 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 wait. I, I have a Bible here, and my Bible says Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Why in the world is the second one Job? Well, the truth of the matter is Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible other than going back to the beginning with Genesis. But Job was more than likely even written before the book of Genesis. Historically, uh, chronologically, Job would be the next book for us to take a look at. So in the book of Genesis, we have the Lord Jesus Christ presented as all-powerful God, the Creator, having the power to create. What an awesome power that is. Well, the book of Job also portrays Christ as the Almighty. Where, Exodus, I mean, where in Genesis it is all-powerful God who creates, in Job it furthers that theme as it paints God as being Shaddai, the all-powerful one. Thirty-one times in the book of Job it talks about calls God the Almighty. Job fits perfectly within the time scheme of the book of Genesis. As Genesis is portraying Christ as all-powerful, the Creator, Job comes along and also portray it it fits within that time scheme that time sequence and it presents Christ it presents God as being the almighty Job fits in with the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob it fits in in probably well Jacob in following that and we have to keep in mind as we've studied the book of Job and fitting in at that time of the last part of Genesis that they had a limited knowledge of God. All the Bible was not written at that time. And so we, uh, Abraham 
probably all did. Abraham knew more about God than Adam did, as far as revelation. And Moses knew more than Abraham did. And as we go through the scripture, we see more and more and more revelation presented so that it gives us a clearer picture of who God is, his nature, his character, everything about him. And as we look in the book of Job, we're going to find that they have some real questions about who God is, how God works, and what the purpose of God is. And we find that here in just take Job and just flop it down in the time period that Genesis covers. As a matter of fact, look at Genesis 46, because I think this is where you can, you can start and put, put the book of Job, or at least show that it has a beginning there. Look at Genesis 46, 13. And the sons of Issachar... Tola and Puva and Job and Simran. See, God's word's clear that Job is the son of Issachar. Issachar was one of the sons of Jacob. So Abraham uh, would have Abraham would have been Job's granddaddy. And it kind of explains Job's understanding of God. It understands, uh, explains so much of what was going on during that time their, and their worship of God. It, it fits within the uh, patriarchal time period and explains so much about the, some of the misunderstanding and some of the concepts and some of the things that were going on in, in the book of Job. It just fits this time, this time period. Uh, during the book of Job, uh, wealth is measured by livestock, how much livestock they owned. Uh, Job, it tells us in, in the book of Job, is the priest of his family. Uh, any of the religious experiences and services that take place, uh, Job was the priest of his family, just like it was in the patriarchal uh, time. There's no reference to Israel. There's no reference to the Exodus or the Mosaic law. It all fits perfectly in this portion of Genesis. And in this portion of Genesis, we have the name, the introduction, the, the, the description of God as almighty. We've already found that he is almighty to create. He has the power to create. Here in Job, he has the power over all creation, and it has, the book of Job has more to do with God's immense sovereignty, that God calls the shots, God can do what he wants to do, that he is no one to trifle with, that he is no one to argue with, that he is all-powerful. And again, their limited understanding of who God is. Uh, the three friends that are going to try to provide counsel to Job, those three, uh, three sons are descendants of Esau. So again, you know, Jacob and Esau are brothers. Uh, Job is the son of, of Jacob. And this first guy, Eliphaz, 
one of the friends is going to come and try to tell Job what he is doing wrong. Um, he, he was the son of Esau. Look at Genesis 36.10. I mean, what we do here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship is we go by the Word of God. We don't try to fabricate. We don't try to make something say anything differently than what God's Word says. But in Genesis 36.10, these are the names of Esau's sons. Who's the very first one? Eliphaz. So this is all during that part of Genesis. Another interesting, and I think this is just, I enjoy history anyway. I enjoy these type of truths and coming across these truths. I think it's important for the Bible student to understand that they can trust the Bible, that it's true, historically correct, that there'll never be a time as you study that you're going to come across something that's going to be proven to be not correct. And so you find these type of things, you go, wow, that's, that's incredible. Um, the, to me, the strongest argument that this fits into Genesis is found in Exodus. Look at Exodus, chapter 6. Genesis, I mean, Exodus, chapter 6. Genesis, what? Exodus, chapter 6. Let's start with verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt, thy see, now shalt thy see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of this land. And God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am Jehovah. And when we get to Exodus, we're going to spend quite a bit more time on that. Here is the Lord is identifying himself to Moses. I am. And in Exodus chapter 3, uh, and we find out that uh, he is, I am the Lord who provides for you. I am the Lord, your peace. I am all of the different Jehovah derivatives are throughout the scripture. Uh, the, the word Jehovah literally means I am. And then, go, then God goes on to explain what he is. Remember, God is what he is, Jehovah who he is. Who he is is Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rafika, Jehovah Shalom. All of those things is what the scripture tells us who God is. He says, I am the Lord. Look at verse 3. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and to Jacob by the name of, what? Shaddai, by the name of God Almighty. What is that? I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob by the name of God Almighty, Shaddai. But by name Jehovah was I not known unto them. So it shouldn't surprise us that in the book of Job, 31 times he is called by the name that they knew him. See, God had not revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the way he's going to reveal himself to Moses, that he is the great I Am, and enter into that covenant relationship with Moses as he describes himself. Now, I happen to believe that Moses is the author of Job, 
And so Moses is, is writing this down. And so in the book of Job, the word Jehovah is used. But it's Moses knowing that's who he is. But at this point, they did not call God Jehovah. They didn't know him by that name. So here in the book of Job, we have not only the, that name Shaddai, the Almighty being used over and over. The activity and the customs fit the Genesis account. His power to have his will over his creation. He's recognized as real. He's recognized as no one to argue with. He's recognized as no one to complain to. He's recognized as no one to trifle with. He is recognized as the one who is absolutely in control. It's from the book of Job that God speaks out of the whirlwind to Job, and he puts Job basically in his place, saying, Where were you? As a matter of fact, turn there. Go to, go to Job is it 42. Go to Job 30, 38. Job 38, starting verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And remember, Job has, has been answering his friends. He's been... Uh, answering those guys that are trying to provide counseling, but boy, are they off base with their answers. Look at verse 4. God asked Job this question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. And then on and on and on in, in chapters 38 and 39 and 40, the Lord talks to Job out of this whirlwind, and basically says, where were you when I created? Where were you when I brought all this into existence? So again, we have Christ the Creator, God the Creator, as he's talking to, is to Job. He speaks of his will over all of his creation. Not only did he bring it into existence, he is the creator of this. Now let me tell you what the theme of Job is not. When you read Job, it sounds pretty much like it's a question, why do bad things happen to good people? That kind of seems to be the question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And that's really not the question, question to ask. Uh, Job's friends pretty much ask that question, and they start pointing out all sorts of things that humanly uh, speaking, that's where we always tend to go. That's why we tend to always ask those same kind of questions. And the book of Job really declares those aren't the questions to ask. The question is not why, why do bad things happen to good people, because it's already been established that Job was a good, good man. And all of a sudden, his world falls apart. 
all of a sudden things start taking place. And from his friend's perspective is, Job, you must have really ticked God off. What in the world could you have done, Job? And, and let's give them credit. They were trying, but from a human perspective. The whole point of Job is not, why do bad things happen to good people? The point of Job is, you fear God. What is going to be your reaction when bad things happen to you? That's really the whole point of the book of Job. When suffering occurs, when bad things take place in your life, are you going to blame God? Are you going to question God? See, Job was never privy to what actually took place in heaven. Job is never privy to what brought all this about. God never said, Job, let me tell you what happened with Satan came and, and, and we got into this debate and, and this is what occurred because I was going to show Satan and the rest of the angelic being what a righteous man you are. See, I really believe that happened. I believe that occurred. I don't think it's a, a poem. I don't think that it was, it was man-made. It's just to illustrate. I don't think it's hyperbole. I, don't, I believe this was actually an occurrence that took place in heaven. But Job was not privy to it. And the whole point of it is, Job, trust me. Believe in me. Regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of the difficulty you're t having, regardless of the trials, regardless of the suffering, trust me that it's, it's for your own good, even if it doesn't seem to be good. Turn with me to, to Job. Let's start in the book of Job. Now, the book of Job is the in the canon, it's the first of the poetic books. You have Job, and then you have Psalms, and then you have Proverbs, and then you have the Song of Solomon, and then you have Ecclesiastes. Uh, uh, those are the poetic books. So it's first in the canon in poetic, poetic books. It's lumped together with them. But it's really the first, I mean, it's the second book that fits right here in Genesis as an explanation of what's, what's going on here with these these people. How do we react? See, that's the question as we go through the book of, the book of Job. Let me tell you what Job's reaction was at the end. Because he argues with God all the way through. He argues with his friends, then he argues with God or he questions God. And the very ending of it, Job finally comes to the point that he says, look at Job 42. And this, this needs, we need to understand this, folks. We need in our own lives, Job chapter 42, verse 2. This was the conclusion that Job, after all of his suffering, and folks, he suffered. He had a tough, tough time. He lost everything he had. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his reputation. He lost everything. In Job 42, starting with verse 2, well, start with verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, 
I know that thou canst can do everything and that no thought can be withholden from you. Lord, I, I know you know us inside and out. Lord, I know that you're basically in control is what he's saying here. And look at verse 6. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. After so much of Job's egotism and his high thinking of himself, even in the book of Job, Job starts questioning how just God is. He even calls God unjust for doing what he was doing. And a lot of that was the influence of his friends talking to him. And Job says, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Look at uh, 40. Verse 4. with verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? And I will lay my hand upon my mouth. In other words, Lord, I'm going to shut myself up. He had argued. He had cried out. Lord, give me an answer. Why am I going through this difficult time? My friends approach me. My friends come and tell me this. And Lord, I'm crying out, show me why I'm going through this terrible time, why I'm dealing with all of this suffering. And it might be that God, like with Job, doesn't want or never tells you what prompted it, what started it. The whole point is like Job, you just come to the point where you accept it and trust God. And in the end, what does, God, what does God do? God restores Job. He gives him twice as much as he ever had. He gives him twice as much longevity as he would have had. God blesses him at the end because Job did remain faithful. And at the very beginning, Job, Job's attitude was absolutely correct. Look at Job 1, verse 6. Or, uh, verse 21. What was Job's response? Job had lost everything. His kids, his sheep, his livestock, his family. And Job's reaction to begin, what, to begin with was, and he said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, at the beginning, that was the right attitude. That, that needs to be the attitude that we have. Lord, I didn't bring anything in this world. I'm not going to take anything out of it. Lord, I'm just going to bless your name. I'm going to trust you through all, all of this. Look at Job 2, verse 10. Job still with a little bit of integrity as he was beginning to suffer. 
his wife, verse 9, then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. I mean, she saw him scraping the boils. She saw him in all the pain and agony that had just reaped upon him by Satan. So God's hand was removed and Satan said, Aha, I'm going to do this. And he says unto his wife, who just told him to curse God and die, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Through all of this, he, re- he maintained his integrity, never knowing that, as it tells us in Job 1, when the sons of God, which are the angels, came and presented themselves to God, Satan was there with him, and God brought the, the issue up. He asked Satan, where have you been? He said, I've been walking to and fro the face of the earth. God says, did you see the, the Lord Jesus? <laughs> this was the Lord Jesus. said, did you see my servant Job? How faithful he is? And Satan basically says, yeah, but it's only because you've blessed him. See, the whole point here is mankind has always thought wrongly that prosperity and blessings come when you are pleasing God. It's bad suffering a difficult life when God when you've made God mad. That that's the way human nature portrays it. That's the way it's it's always been, it seems like. It's almost as if obedience, good and blessings. And sorry, prosperity preachers, but uh, really have no idea what you're talking about. That as long as you're pleasing God and God's happy with you and you're sitting in church and, and you're doing everything that God wants you to do, why, you're just going to have blessing after blessing, and then all of a sudden, if those blessings aren't there, why, oops, you've made God mad at you. And you better be finding out why you made God mad at you. That's kind of human reasoning. The whole book of Job is to show that's not how God works. God knows the end from the, be- or from the beginning from the e- to the end. God has a purpose. He has a plan. And the consequences of sin is not always suffering because the Bible's full of And even Job talks about how come this wicked, how come they prosper and I'm doing and I'm suffering. And all through the scriptures we find where where the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. The Bible asks the question, why why is that? I think an interesting point is look at John chapter. I think it's 9. Look at John chapter 9. Just to show you what the attitude was still at the time of Christ. And it was this attitude back in Job. This is how man thought. That if you sinned, make God mad. If you're righteous, you, you receive God's blessing and prosperity. But... That's not necessarily so. 
that the consequences of suffering can also be brought about because of faithfulness. And, and, and that's the point of Job, is that your suffering can also be because of your faithfulness and understanding we have an enemy who hates us and desires to see us destroyed and blame God. But look at John chapter 9. Even the Lord's disciples were following that same thought pattern. John chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? We want to know why this guy is blind. Who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, humanly speaking, human logic is going to take you that direction. Look what Jesus said. And, and you can take this and put it right in the book of Job because that's part of what's going on here. And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. Well, why? Why, then why does he suffer? Christ answers, and this is the answer, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Job, why am I, could say, why am I suffering? And God's answer is so that my will, my purpose, can be brought about in your life. The whole point of people saying, well, if you're pleasing God, you're going to prosper. Well, tell that to the Apostle Paul. You talk about suffering shipwreck. You talk about beatings. He served God. He loved the Lord Jesus. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He had a relationship with Christ. And very few suffered the way he did. So approaching it from the way Job's friends were asking, they would ask Paul, Hey, Apostle Paul, why did you suffer so? Why did you make God so angry with you? See, it was Paul's faithfulness. And what about all the other prophets? Name me a prophet of Israel that was not martyred at some point in Israel's history. They were faithful. You go through the of Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about all of the faithful who were sown asunder. Man, when they started cutting me asunder, I'm going to wonder, God, why did I, what did I do to get here? But see, that's not the right question. It has to do with faithfulness. It has to do with the assurance that God is almighty. Christ, you are in charge. And and. Job, I'll get it out in a second. Job even talks about in the book, he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that I'm going to stand before him one day. Job had that assurance. And that's what kept bringing him back, even though his friends just lambasted him. Job chapter 13, verse 15, I think is one of the greatest portions of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And it really needs to be the theme of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Job chapter 13, and this was early on. There's 42 chapters in the book of Job. So early on, this was Job's attitude, and it was the right attitude. And it was not long after this, his friends came along and started just throwing different questions and telling him, you need to repent. And each one of them came from, uh, uh, from a, the, the impotence of, of human logic and human reasoning and human tradition. And they kept throwing all that at, at Job. But in Job 13, verse 15, this was Job's attitude with all the suffering Again, as he scraped the boils, as the dogs came and lay, it, it was an incredible amount of suffering. This needs to be the attitude of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him. God, I'm going to do what? Your word tells me. But again, understanding. Job had limited understanding. He really had no written word at that time. It's what had been revealed about God up to that time. And they believed it by faith. They believed that there was a God. They believed he was almighty. They believed that he involved himself in the affairs of men. But the extent of that, they weren't, they weren't sure. And then God speaks to him out of the out of the whirlwind. That gets his attention. And basically he says, I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth and I'm going to shut up. I'm, I'm just, I, I can say nothing before you. His friends, we're, we're not going to go into all his friends, said to him, they did try to console. Matter of fact, when they first heard about Job, they were cousins. They were kin to Esau. They were cousins. Scripture bears that out. And they came to, to counsel him. They came to help him. And when they, it, the Bible says they got there and they saw the state he was in, and these three friends, they just sat down next to him and didn't say anything for a week. They just suffered right along with him. Now, that's friendship. Now, I love you, and I praise God for you. And I hope you never test me. But very few people would go and just sit down and spend a whole week and not say anything. I might come and visit with you, and I'm going to pray with you. They just came and saw the shape he was in. They didn't say anything. They just suffered right along with him. So it kind of gives you an idea that they really were good friends. They did care. And when they finally started talking to him, you know what they started telling him to do? Oh, Job, you've got to repent. What in the world did you do to make Job, to make God so mad at you? You need to repent. You need to get right with God. You need to do something. And Job kept saying, but I'm innocent. I, I, I don't know what I did. I and as they argued, and Job got in, it went from being uh, uh, where they were trying to console him to trying to correct him and then judging him. And he had just got more and more aggravated all along. 
But the whole book of Job is to show Christ as the Almighty that we can trust in, the one that spoke to him out of the whirlwind. He is the one who cares. He is the one that wants to provide answer. The whole purpose, the object of the book of Job was to demonstrate human impotence in solving our problems, attaining righteousness, in coming up with answers. The only way we're going to be able to come up with answers is to know God's Word and to know what God's Word reveals to us and to study. The book of Job shows you how desperate, how needy, how lost we are without the Word, the, re the revealed Word of God to us and its completeness, the authority that we can, we can know God, His character, His might, His nature. And the trouble we get into when we start trying to humanly utilize our experiences or our traditions or just plain human merit to defend or define who God is. Job came to the conclusion, Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer, that was his hope, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And his Redeemer showed up. His Redeemer proved himself to be the one that cared for him, cared so much for him that he restored all that he had lost. This morning I want to play the song that was sort of prompted this study years ago. Now, some of this song I've ventured away from what, who they say Christ is. But it, this is the song that sort of spurred this, this study. And the whole aspect of it is He is. He is the God of the Bible. He is the one who has revealed Himself to us both as the living Word and as the written Word. To know God, you have to know Christ because He is the living Word. He is the written Word. And that is how God has been revealed to us as Jesus Christ. He is God. And this song, He Is, goes through every one of them quickly. So Tim, play, play this song, He Is, and then we'll conclude. 